Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Last night, we opened up with this verse. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And in the previous two nights, we went through this, what this means, and what this means. And obviously, to become the type of people that can keep the commandments of God and can hold to the testimony of Jesus, we found out that the Bible talks about baptism. Or do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in newness of life. And, and, and that's how we become, right? We become part of the, the God's family by dying to self, declaring it publicly to the world, just like in marriage, and living a life following the Lamb of God, following Him wherever He may lead, even if it leads to death, right? They love not their lives, Revelation 12, 11, even when faced with death. And that's why those of us who experience the death of Jesus Christ and die to self have been promised eternal life, to be with God forever and ever throughout eternity. But those who reject it, well, it's right there in the heart of the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever, black, white, tall, short, skinny, overweight, whatever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? And it depends on belief. But the two options are either perish or have everlasting life. And the Bible tells us that it boils down to, as we've been studying throughout this week, your free choice, your free will, because God is love, and love demands freedom, even though that freedom makes life complicated. But it is because God is the sole moral authority, the only one who can be trusted God bids us to follow him, to live his way, his life. And that's why we've been made promises of the second coming when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, all, no one will escape this, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. There are only two groups, two camps in the end. Those who are put on uh, the, the goats, sheep from the goats, those the sheep on his right hand, the right hand of power, but the goats on the left will be lost. And so it's up to us to decide which camp we're going to belong to. Up to us in the courtroom scenery we've been painting for us to be a witness for God or a witness for the enemy. We decide that. 
because God has given us the power to make that choice but he is not going to make that choice for us and so the end result for the two groups is found in this verse then the king will say to those on his right hand come you blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared to you from the foundation of the world God knew that there will be people who would choose him and he's been preparing this kingdom since when? since the foundation of the world but then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me. You curse it into the everlasting fire. Prepared for what? The devil and his angels. It was never God's intention for any human to be part of this. This was made finally at the end to put an end to the accusations, the slander. When God's name is vindicated in the celestial realm through the celestial court this was made for the devil and his angels however there are many people who the devil's taking with him who have chosen and as we said yesterday we do not lose our salvation we forfeit it we have made choices along the way of our life and we have testified or agreed with the enemy instead of with God and so here it is plain from scripture two choices you will either be blessed and welcomed into the kingdom or you will perish in the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And what's interesting as we've been pointing out is that the judgment, the executive judgment, the executive judge is not the father but Jesus Christ himself. It says for the father judges how many people? No one. No one but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. And I like this. Not that I can't trust the Father, but the fact is that Jesus is the executive judge, but he's also my lawyer. He's also my witness, and he stands in my place. I can't lose if I surrender and die to some. I can't lose this court case because he is my judge, he is my lawyer, he stands in my place, and he is my witness. All done by the grace of God. But it is Jesus because ultimately throughout scripture this battle has always been between not Satan and the Father, but Christ and Satan. Challenging his authority. And Jesus has told us now, well, he's told us this, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Now, this come quickly to us who've lived 70, 80, perhaps 90. My grandmother died at 101 on April 11th, was the two-year anniversary of her death. Seems like a long time, but what is 6,000 years in light of eternity? What is 3,000, 4,000, even 10,000 years? in light of eternity. So quickly is in the sense of the heavenly realm and for us individually. And when he comes, his reward is with him. That means there will be no second chances at the second coming. The sheep and the goat will be separated and his reward is with him, meaning what? Those who are taken to heaven are rewarded with eternal life. Those who are lost will perish in the fire. 
And this is the promise that has been given to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there's no longer any sea. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I'll see my grandmother again. I'll see my father again. All the suffering I have gone through in this world would be forgotten in the light of seeing my Savior face to face and being with him for all eternity. And then we have all eternity to find out how each aspect of our pain and suffering, God would turn it and use it to bring us all the way home. This is the promise. A new heavens and a new earth with no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. But not only for us, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. New creation, new humanity, new animals. Try putting a, a lamb and a sheep together now and see what happens. But then, right, even the lion will eat straw like an ox. We'll be able to have lions as pets, bears as pets, whatever your favorite dangerous animal is. Everything will be recreated. But you know what? I dare you to try to do a Bible study on heaven. And there's very little detail. When we talk about no more tears, no more... That's actually, right, referring to the new earth. Right? Mainly, most of the things that we see about the eternity is really about the new earth. There's very little said about heaven except that it is a reward for those who are in Christ. But the Bible does make this promise. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love. Your wildest imagination, the wildest thing you can think of, heaven will be that much better. This new eternity will be that much better. In fact, we're told we're only going to spend a thousand years in heaven. And then we come back to this earth recreated. And I like that thought because Adam and Eve did not see creation. But those of us who make it to the end will be able to hear God speak and recreate this world new. We will be able to see his creative power. But that's a reward for those of us who are in Christ. And I've spoken in the past that that same hope that we have, that what we call as Christians the blessed hope, where we're longing for, especially when we're in our pain and suffering, that same event to the wicked, the Bible says it is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. That same event, what we're hoping for, they are asking for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. They want to be hidden just like us as kids when we knew we were guilty and we didn't want to face our parents. We wanted to hide. 
the loving God. David Ashrick, a preacher in our denomination, said, How warped does sin get your mind that they are afraid of a lamb, the wrath of the lamb. They're afraid of a lamb. If you've ever seen a lamb, it's like the most docile creature. But sin has warped the minds of those who are against God, and they're afraid of the lamb. So the Bible gives descriptions about that day. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord God of hosts, that will leave them neither root, Satan, nor branch his followers. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord God of hosts not a pretty picture continues looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat you know I've thought of why the Lord destroyed the planet first with water when something gets destroyed with water and we should know we live in Houston Many things get destroyed with water. What happens to what is left behind? It gets moldy, right? It gets moldy, it putrefies, and it, and it just gets dangerous, right? It, it could become hazardous to your health if you live in a moldy house. And so there was still sin on this planet, and it's almost like he destroyed it with flood. And if you think of that analogy, right, of mold, this planet got worse after the flood. But when you destroy something with fire, what happens to it? Especially if it's gold, right? It purifies it. It destroys. Nothing can live in it. It's almost like the Lord with fire is going to purify the earth, turn it into ashes where nothing mold can take place, the mold of sin, and then recreate it from that. The Bible continues, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad once again two groups and once again this notion of judgment courtroom that the Bible is the backdrop to all of it is a matter of fact if you wanted to summarize the Bible in one short sentence it's the story of what God has said the devil has refuted and Jesus Christ is the answer right all of the Bible every story God wants his people to do something the enemy is there hindering it and the only way you can make the right decision is by either in the Old Testament accepting the lamb sacrifice on your behalf and obviously in the New Testament accepting the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so judgment is a backdrop. We've been looking at it especially in the five days prior to these three days, right? It's the covenant covenant um, stipulations the rules of engagement we've seen Lucifer go up to heaven in Job and we've seen the throne judgment we've seen uh, the fact that Christ is the judge in Daniel chapter 7 there's a courtroom scene 
And here we're told, obviously, that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Some will appear, right, in Daniel chapter 7, and some will appear in Revelation chapter 20. But all of us will be judged by God. But the beauty of it is that those who are in Christ are judged by Christ as being sinless because we have accepted his blood. And so the ultimate judgment of the wicked takes place in what we call, and we've seen this chart before, the millennium, right? And if you look at it before we look at some verses, this is before the second coming, the second coming takes place. The second coming and the righteous dead and living reign with Christ at the beginning of the thousand years. Satan is bound for a thousand years, and we'll look at the verse. A thousand years end, and the wicked dead are raised to life, because each person must face their maker. There's, they stand before God in the white throne judgment, and then once they're destroyed, God recreates a new heavens and a new earth. And here, uninterrupted, we'll look at what the Bible says about this chart. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound them for a thousand years. The wicked are dead, so that bound is not that he is tied up, but he can't deceive anybody. Nobody's alive to be deceived. He is regulated here. As we know, at the cross, he was cast down from heaven, never to return. And he is bound here, unable to tempt anybody. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them. Who is them? That's you and I. By the grace of God, we'll all be there sitting on thrones. They sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now, obviously, this judgment is not the judgment to decide who saved or lost. But this is the judgment of the jury. Having looked at the evidence, we can confirm that the judgment was right. And there will be no doubt in our hearts and in our minds that even if your most precious loved one is lost, you will recognize that God did everything imaginable and possible what more could he do for his vineyard than giving his own self his own son to die on our behalf there will be no doubt that God's judgment is righteous and true then I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That thousand year judgment that we saw in this timeline. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. What's Who's the rest of the dead? The wicked dead. This is the first resurrection. Talking about this group here. We receive a blessing. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. 
over such the second death has no power. For they shall be priests of God and of Christ and reign with him a thousand years. A thousand years looking at every case of every individual that was lost. Whether it be your spouse or your child, heaven forbid, or your best friend, or heaven forbid I'm lost and you guys are wondering why my pastor was lost. Every detail will be there for review. Perfectly kept. And in the end, all of us will recognize that God did everything possible to try to save every person that was lost. But they forfeited their salvation because they decided to choose Satan instead of God. Now look what happens, going back to the chart, at the end of this thousand years, when the wicked are raised, the Bible tells us this is what happens. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Why? Because now he has people to tempt. The wicked are raised. And he will go to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. That's a sad fact. The lost will be as, the saved will be as the sand of the sea, the soul of the lost. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. As we have seen throughout this seminar, the enemy and Jesus have had several conversations. In the wilderness, we'll look at it, right? Where finally he tells them, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Worship God and God alone. We see him in Job when Satan comes up, talking to God. And we're going to see a couple of these instances where throughout the Bible, we, we've never looked at him that way. But these are conversations that were actually happening. That'll bring us to a key point tonight. Here's the whole conversation, not the whole conversation, but a good portion of it. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fear gods and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord, Does God... Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household and all and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of of the Lord. And we saw in the first five nights that this is part of the rules of engagement. Satan doesn't have unlimited power. He has to ask permission. But in but the accusation against God is that God is arbitrary. He's a dictator. That he wants to run it his way. That people don't have freedom. And God says, no. My servant Job serves me freely. And Satan says, prove it. 
So we see the conversation and it took place twice, right? Took place twice. The first time he touched all of Job's possessions and then the second time the conversation took place, he touched Job's body, but he wasn't given permission to kill him. And in all that, God, Job did not blame God for his pain and suffering. In fact, he worshiped God. Naked I came, naked I go out. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But here's a conversation, right, between God and Satan. Like two people in a living room having a conversation. Here's another conversation, not necessarily like this one, but that is had by God to Satan. But in this case, he's talking to the serpent. He says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, which is the devil, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I love this word in this verse. Because if it wasn't for this word in this verse, you and I would be willing servants of Satan. But God has put a, a, a uneasiness in our hearts that we long for something more. And then when we're touched by the Spirit, we can be born again if we surrender. Also, here is the fact that Jesus would die for us. Her seed, the seed of the woman, which would be Christ, he shall destroy Satan by crushing his head, but not prior to him crucifying our Lord and Savior. Here's two other instances in a courtroom setting where the Lord and Satan have a conversation. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Another way of saying objection in a courtroom. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Speaking of Joshua and being putting the white robe on Joshua. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against them a railing accusation or basically said objection the Lord rebuke you. And these two verses are found in Zechariah 3.2 and in Jude 1.9 and here's the other conversation face to face now in the wilderness Jesus told them three times but he answered and said to him it is written depending on the word of God even though he gave the word of God he Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. After the second temptation, in that conversation with Satan, he told them, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And finally, in the third temptation, where we see exactly what Satan is after, your worship, your allegiance, Jesus tells him, away with you, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve and so we see throughout the bible these conversations and and it's and it's usually based on either worship or the fact that satan is the accuser of the brethren and he's trying to claim somebody for himself that god has redeemed but another way these conversations take place 
or indirectly like with the serpent, but this time with the human. He's addressing a human, but he's talking to Satan. And, but he turned and said to who? Peter, get behind me, who? Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. If we can be possessed by the Holy Spirit, we can be possessed by the enemy. But God knew that in that moment of weakness, it was really not Peter, but who? The enemy, Satan. And so in all these crucial moments in the Bible history, the story of Job, which gives us a backdrop of this great controversy, at the garden there with Adam and Eve, here with Peter in the New Testament, we see conversations with God taking place. And why? Because the enemy wants to be God. He wants to be God. He wants to be worshipped. And he wants followers. But the Bible describes his faith. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, he said. I will be like the Most High. Yet God says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? This is indirectly talking about Satan. You remember when Saddam Hussein got captured? He used to be a, a proud man who ran his country with an iron fist. But if you remember how he got captured, he was in a sewer hole cowering. And so it's that imagery I see that after all his bluster and after all his challenge of God, they will gaze at you and say, is this the one who caused all the trouble? He looks so weak and frail and so defeated. How could it be him? Ezekiel gives us more insight to that. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by the reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you finally defeated. Those who are lost are going to be like, we gave in to this guy? Because yes, in light of him standing in front of us, he looks like a majestic, powerful being. But when he stands there at the judgment throne of God, defeated, knowing that he is lost, he's going to look like the wimp that he really is before God. Not before us, but before God. And the Bible describes it here, gives us hints as to what's happening By the multitudes of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. In that case, it will be us, the redeemed. He who caused all your pain and suffering, he who made your life for some a living hell, but you stayed faithful to the Lamb of God, who carried you through every step of the way, who has promised that he who trusts in God will make all things 
work together for good, we will look at him and say, I can't believe it. you will be destroyed. And we'll see that what this is describing, we'll read in Revelation, the white throne judgment. It says, all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be what? Forever. Why? Because hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Unfortunately, many people on this earth will choose and will be partakers of that. So we've seen these conversations. So let me ask you. When the white throne judgment is there and they have surrounded the city, but God stops them at their tracks and they can't go any further because they can't take the city. And everybody there recognizes that the man, the God they've been fighting for is now standing before them face to face, high and lifted up. They cannot hide their sins from his face. They know now that he reads them, he reads their minds and their hearts. When there is a crime family and they arrest some of the lower levels, what usually happens? They try to get them to testify against who? The crime boss. Because they're really after the main guy. And so I want you to use your sanctified imagination. Because in the book of Job, who was the instigator of everything? Satan. Satan was the instigator of everything. He was the cause of all, ultimately the cause of all of Job's pain and suffering. Job remained loyal to God. And so at the end of the book, God addresses Job. But if you read the end of the book and God is addressing Job, some of the things he says to Job is impossible for any human to do. I propose tonight that just like the king of Tyre and in Ezekiel, even though he's addressing a man, he's addressing actually Satan, kind of like when he spoke to Peter. The end of Job, he's actually addressing the conversation at the end in front of all the redeemed and the lost. Can you picture it? Use your vivid imagination. God telling Satan at the end, okay, man up now. Who is this that doctrines counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man and I will ask you and you instruct me in front of the whole universe, in front of all the lost and the redeemed. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or where was its base sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone? Remember, God is worshipped primarily because he is the creator. And Lucifer wanted to be like God. And matter of fact, one professor of mine uh, speculated 
that the thousand years are given to Lucifer because the earth is without form and void. God is basically saying, you want to be God? Here's the earth, like in Genesis, create something if you're God. And for a thousand years, he can't do diddly squat because he himself is a created being. Who is this that darkens counsel? Who is this that put the universe through this horrific experiment? Now man up and answer my questions. Have you ever in your life commanded the mornings and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in this season and guide the bear with her satellite? Do you know the ordinances of heaven or the fix or fix their rules over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover it? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Can you count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of the heavens? When the dust hardens into a mass and the clouds stick together. Then the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder? Think about it. Who's the ultimate accuser? Will the fault finder contend with the almighty? Remember, at the beginning of this controversy, God couldn't deal with Satan with power. Because it was a question of his character. In other words, but once God proved his character, that it is sacrificial, that it is willing to die, now when that case has been settled, God is about to flex some muscle. Can you contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. And now switch the word Job for Satan. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am what? Insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer. Even twice I will add nothing more. What can he say? He stood at the very throne of God. God's most powerful, beautiful, created being before his fell. He had the authority of all the angels. He had authority over all the angels. Second to God himself. He knows God's power and yet he put us all through this experiment. Then the Lord answered Satan out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Your government was better, you said? Your ways were better for the angels and for humanity? Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like that? It'd be absurd if he was really addressing Job, or only Job. This is a hint of the conversation he'll have right before he destroys the earth. Adorn yourself. You want to be like the Mahout's high? Adorn yourself with em eminence and dignity. And clothe yourself with honor and majesty. High and lifted up with the robe of his train. Shaking the very foundations of the temple. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Can you do that, Satan? No. 
Look on everyone who is proud and humble them, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together, bind them in the hidden places. Then I also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. If you can do this, Satan, if you can be high and lifted up and have everybody adore you and praise you and recognize your government as legit, then I myself will confess to you and say that your own right hand can save you. But when the jig is up, how dare you even try to flex your muscle when you know you're defeated? Behold, your expectation is false. Will you be, will you be laid low even in the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he desires to arouse him. When he, who then is he that can stand before me? See, because now God is flexing his muscle. Powerful power, no one can stand before him. Who has given to me that I should repay? Does the Lord need anything? Whatever is under the whole heaven is what? Mine. Including you, Lucifer. For you were the created cherub. He can't be talking to just Job alone. There's too much here. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see. Therefore I retract and repent in what? Literally. And it's an echo, right? That last phrase here is an echo to this. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even Satan himself, after his tongue lashing, will kneel and realize you've been right all along. None of the pain and suffering that we have gone through should have ever happened. And everybody will look at him you the one that weakened the nation. And now when you have God face to face, all you can do is acknowledge that he was right. And that's where this part of Revelation comes in. Then I saw the great white throne after Lucifer's tongue lashing and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. This is the wicked dead. And the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. Well, everybody. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in their books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it 
Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they would judge each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death from which there is no resurrection. That's it. The whole universe will be cleared of sin. But more importantly, there will be no more doubt in the, those of the redeemed that sin is even a remotely viable option. We will not lose our ability to sin because freedom will remain. But no one will ever want to go down that route having lived through this experiment, having finally seen the more behind the scenes throughout the thousand years, we are promised a new heavens and a new earth. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. There's only one way into the city, and that is to accept Jesus Christ, to die to self through the power of his conversion. Because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, to the city, to eternal life, except through me. The very one Satan attacked has been attacking. The very one Satan has been arguing against in this courtroom battle is the only one through whom we can win our defense. Then we're reminded as we've seen of this prayer, of this hope, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It'll be over. Like when you go through surgery or a dentist or through some pain, and you finally get past it and you're glad you're over like a mother giving birth and the pain of that when you're past it it'll be finally over and we will realize that we wouldn't change a single thing we went through if it has led us to the throne of grace sin and sinners will be no more. The Bible in Nahum 1.9 promises that iniquity will not rise a second time. Everybody will know that sin is detrimental to the health of the universe. And that God is just. I look forward to this promise. Especially this one here. I have loved ones that I've buried. A father who hasn't seen his grandchildren grow up. I know we too have loved ones we've lost. 
Let nothing in this world make you side with Satan. Let nothing in this world distract you from being among those who experience this promise. May God bless each and every one of you in your households. And may we live surrendered to God on a daily basis. He is not the author of pain and suffering, but rather the opposite. He is the one that will make diamonds out of our pain and suffering. And in the end, when we look back, the glory of heaven, well, the sufferings of this world cannot compare to the glory we'll have in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you that we see clearly you're going to take care of us. And we just have to endure to the end, but not in our own strength, but in yours. Father, be with us on a daily basis. Because you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.